Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hello, friends and relatives, brothers and sisters. This is going to be a discussion of Alma chapter 39. Welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. Now, these next four chapters, 39 to 42, are commandments that Alma is giving to his son, Corianton. Remember, Corianton was one of the missionaries that went to the Zoramites, and Corianton got into a little bit of trouble in his mission. So this is uh, probably one of the most significant uh, sections or doctrine or areas uh, where the doctrines about life after death and the resurrection are found in any of scriptures. So let's go ahead and get into these uh, chapters. Now we're going to do chapter 39, verse 1. And now, my son, I have somewhat more to say unto thee than what I said unto thy brother. For behold, have ye not observed the steadiness of thy brother, his faithfulness and his diligence in keeping the commandments of God? Behold, has he not set a good example for you? Corianton did not follow the good examples of his brothers. Verse 2, For thou didst not give so much heed unto my words, as did thy brother, among the people of the Zoramites. Now this is what I have against thee. The following might be termed a formula for a fall. Thou didst go on unto boasting in thy strength and thy wisdom. In the parlance of the day, Corianton said, I can handle it, unwilling to trust in the power and always in the omnipotent one. Corianton was left to his own resources. He thought he knew better. He felt confident he had the willpower to deal with any eventuality. But then he fell. That was by Milton McConkie. Bruce R. McConkie said, Boasting in the arm of flesh, <clears throat> one of the commonest of all sins among worldly people is a gross evil. It is a sin born of pride, a sin that creates a frame of mind which keeps men from turning to the Lord and accepting his saving grace. When a man engages in self-exaltation because of his riches, his political power, his worldly learning, his physical prowess, his business acumen, or even his works of righteousness, he is not in tune with the Spirit of the Lord. Verse 3, And this is not all, my son. Thou didst do that which was grievous unto me, for thou didst forsake the ministry, and did go over into the land of Siron among the borders of the Lamanites after the heart of Isabel. He associated with the wrong types of persons. This is similar to the story of David. Verse 4, Yea, she did steal away the hearts of many, but this was no excuse for thee, my son. Thou shouldst have tended to the ministry wherewith thou wast entrusted. He gave in to peer pressure and should have done what he was supposed to. He did not have a single-minded focus of his mission. There are at least three dangers that threaten the church within. They are flattery of prominent men in the world, false educational ideas, and sexual impurity. But the third subject mentioned, personal purity, is perhaps of greatest of greater importance than either of the other two. We believe in one standard of morality for men and women. If purity of life is neglected, all other dangers set in upon like the rivers of waters when the floodgates are opened. And that was by Joseph F. Smith. <clears throat> one, of, one of God's many powers, one that he values very highly, is the power to give and take life. He has forbidden us to take life, but has shared with us his power to create it by allowing us to bring children into the world. Because this is a divine power, he has commanded all of his children to use it correctly and reserve it only for marriage. He has also told us that the desire behind this great power must be controlled and used within the bounds he has set. And that was in uh, missionary discussions. Verse 5, Know ye not, my son, that these things are an abomination in the sight of the Lord? 
yea, most abominable above all sin, save it be the shedding of innocent blood. Wilford Woodruff said, If a member of our church, having received the light of the Holy Spirit, commits this capital crime, murder, he will not receive forgiveness in this world nor in the world to come. The revelations of God, the, the revelations of God, the church abound in commandments, forbidding us to shed blood. That was a message of the First Presidency. Elder McConkie said, Thou shalt not kill, and he that kills shall not have forgiveness in this world, nor in the world to come, at least concerning members of the church, to whom this revelation, which is entitled the law of the church, was addressed. We do know that there are murders committed by Gentiles, for which they at least can repent, be baptized, and receive a remission of their sins. Uh, continuing verse 5, or denying the Holy Ghost. So what is that? What is it to, to, to deny the Holy Ghost? Here's a couple of comments from some of the brethren. What is the difference between an unpardonable and an unforgivable sin? The second most serious sin is to commit murder, that is, to willfully shed innocent blood. Concerning this sin, the Lord has said, Thou shalt not kill, and he that kills shall not have forgiveness in this world, nor the world to come. Thus, this is an unforgivable sin, which means that Jesus Christ cannot pay for, or atone for, or forgive the penalty demanded by the broken law. This sin is a pardonable sin, however, that is, the sinner can eventually make full payment himself and be received into a state of pardon. Apparently, one reason this sin is unforgivable is that forgiveness is based upon repentance, and a murderer cannot fully repent of his sin, for he cannot make restitution of the life he has taken. The third most serious sin is unchastity. The Lord has said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and he that committeth adultery and repenteth not shall be cast out. But he that has committed adultery and repents with all his heart, and forsaketh it, and doeth it no more, thou shalt forgive. But if he doeth it again, he shall not be forgiven, but shall be cast out. Thus, adultery is both pardonable and forgivable, but if committed again after a person understands the law, it is unforgivable. All unpardonable sins are of necessity also unforgivable. That was by Daniel Ludlow. Bruce Hafen has said, Perhaps there is a common element in those two sins, unchastity and murder. Both have to do with life, which touches upon the highest of divine powers. Murder involves the wrongful taking of life, while moral transgressions may lead to the wrongful giving of life. At the least, sexual transgressions involve a wrongful tampering with the sacred fountains of life-giving power. Immorality rejects the God-given sanctity of life itself. Verse 6, For behold, if ye deny the Holy Ghost, when it once has had place in you, and ye know that ye deny it, a son of perdition does not want to repent, and will not repent. A son of perdition knows he is one. Behold, this is a sin which is unpardonable, yea, and whosoever murdereth against the light and knowledge of God, this means that he knows he commits murder. It is not easy for him to obtain forgiveness. Elder McConkie said, Murder, the unlawful killing of a human being with malice aforethought, or under which... Under, under such circumstances of criminality that the malice is presumed, is a sin unto death, a sin for which there is no forgiveness, meaning that a murderer can never gain salvation. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. He cannot join the church by baptism. He is outside the pale of redeeming grace. The call of repentance and baptism, the call to repentance and baptism, which includes murderers, has reference to those who took life while engaged in unrighteous wars, as did the Lamanites, because they were compelled to do so, and not because they in their hearts sought the blood of their fellow men. Murderers are forgiven eventually, but only in the sense that all sins are forgiven except the sin against the Holy Ghost. They are not forgiven in the sense that celestial salvation is made available to them. After they have paid the full penalty for their crime, they shall go to, on to a celestial inheritance. 
That was again like that was Bruce R. McConkie. Continuing the verse, he says, it says, Yea, I say unto you, my son, that it is not easy for him to obtain a forgiveness. Joseph Smith said regarding the unpardonable sin, he said, All sins shall be forgiven except the sin against the Holy Ghost. For Jesus will save all except the sons of perdition. What must a man do to commit the unpardonable sin? He must receive the Holy Ghost, have the heavens opened unto him, and know God, and then sin against him. After a man has sinned against the Holy Ghost, there is no repentance for him. He has got to say that the sun does not shine while he sees it. He has got to deny Jesus Christ when the heavens have been opened unto him, and to deny the plan of salvation with his eyes open to the truth of it, and from that time he begins to be an enemy. Joseph Fielding Smith said, All who partake of this, the greatest of sins, sell themselves, as did Cain, to Lucifer. They learn to hate the truth with an eternal hatred, and they learn to love wickedness. They reach a condition where they will not and cannot repent. The spirit of murder fills their hearts, and they would, if they had the power, crucify our Lord again, which they virtually do by fighting his work and seeking to destroy it and his prophets. Section 76, verses 28 to 38, also talks about those that uh, will become sons of perdition. Continuing on, uh, this is by Harold B. Lee. I'm sorry, this is by uh, Millet McConkie. They say, the eyes can be deceived as can... Oh, I'm sorry, this is by President Kimball. <laughs> I'll get it right. The eyes can be deceived as can the other physical senses, but the testimony of the Holy Ghost is certain. The sin against the Holy Ghost requires such knowledge that it is manifestly impossible for the rank and file to commit such a sin. Comparatively few church members will deny the Holy Ghost. Going on, uh, denying the Holy Ghost is more than denial. It is more than inactivity in the church. It is more than losing one's testimony. As the revelations attest, such a, test, such a person comes to defy the truth, to wage war against the Lord, his servants, and his work. And that was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Daniel Ludlow said, Concerning murder, the authorities of the church have published the following brief statement. It is in the same category as the rebellion of Satan and his hosts, and therefore it would not be surprising if the penalties to be imposed upon a murderer were to be of similar character to the, as the penalties meted out to those spirits which were cast out of heaven with Satan. And that was by uh, that was a quote from Harold B. Lee. Teachings of the church is equally strong on the sin of unchastity or adultery. Verse 7, And now, my son, I would to God that ye had not been guilty of so great a crime. I would not dwell upon your crimes to harrow up your soul. Uh, to harrow means to turn your soul over to God. If it were not for your good, it is better to prepare and prevent than repair and repent. Verse 8, But behold, ye cannot hide your crimes from God. Elder Richard G. Scott said, Do not take comfort in the fact that your transgressions are not known by others. That is like an ostrich with his head buried in the sand. He sees only darkness and feels uncomfortably hidden. In reality, he is ridiculously conspicuous. Likewise, our every act is seen by our Father in heaven and his beloved Son. They know everything about us. I invite each one of you to thoughtfully review your life. Is there a dark corner that needs to be cleaned out? When it is quiet and you can think clearly, does your conscience tell you to repent? Continuing verse 8, and except ye repent, ye will stand as, they will stand as a testimony against you at the last day. Now, my son, I would that ye should re repent and forsake your sins and go no more after the lusts of your eyes. President Benson said, the, the lust of your eyes in our day, what does this expression mean? Movies, television programs, and video recordings that are both suggestive and lewd. Magazines and books that are obscene and pornographic. We counsel you, young men, do not pollute your minds with such degrading matter, for the mind through which this filth passes is never the same afterwards. 
President Kimball said, each person must keep himself clean and free from lusts. He must shun ugly, polluted thoughts and acts as he would an enemy. Pornographic and erotic stories and pictures are worse than polluted food. Shun them. The body has power to rid itself of sickening food. The person who entertains filthy stories or pornographic pictures and literature records them in his marvelous human computer, the brain, which can't forget such filth. Once recorded, it will remain there, subject to recall. President Hinckley said, The girl you marry can expect you to come to the marriage altar absolutely clean. She can expect you to be a young man of virtue and thought and word and deed. I plead with you boys tonight to keep yourselves free from the stains of the world. You must not fool around with the internet to find pornographic material. You must not rent videos with porn pornography of any kind. Stay away from pornography as you would avoid a serious disease. It is as destructive. It can become habitual, and those who indulge in it get so they cannot leave it alone. It is addictive. It seduces and destroys its victims. I plead with you, young men, not to get involved in its use. You simply cannot afford to. The girl you marry is worthy of a husband whose life has not been tainted by this ugly and corrosive material. Uh, continuing verse 9, But cross yourself and all these things to erase or cancel or to thwart or to hinder or to counteract is from the 1830 dictionary when it says to cross yourself. Except you do this, you can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, remember and take it upon you and cross yourself in these things. In other words, put off the natural man. Elder Maxwell said, "We are. What are we to? What are we to deny ourselves? It is better that we should deny your, yourselves of these things wherein you take up your cross than that you should be cast into hell. These things, in this utterance of Jesus, includes a recitation of the sensual or selfish." Without such denial, we carry too much baggage. Alas, being overloaded, we then shed not the baggage but the cross. Verse 10, And I command you to take it upon you to counsel with your elder brothers in your undertakings. For behold, thou art in thy youth, and ye stand in need to be nourished by your brothers and give heed to their counsel. Suffer not yourself to be led away by any vain or foolish thing. Suffer not the devil to lead away your heart again after those wicked harlots. Behold, O my son, how great iniquity he brought upon your, the Zoramites when they saw your conduct. Remember that Alma was also leading people from the church, like just like Corianton was doing here. Therefore, Alma knew how to reclaim his son. They would not believe in my words. Our sins have an impact on others, even though we may think they only affect us personally. President Hinckley said, Whenever you step over the line in an immoral act or in doing any other evil, the church is that much weaker. When you stand true and faithful, it is that much stronger. Each one of you counts. Verse 12, And now the Spirit of the Lord doth say unto me, Counsel thy children to do good, lest they lead away the hearts of many people to destruction. Therefore I command you, my son, in the fear of God, that ye refrain from your iniquities, that ye turn to the Lord with all your mind, might, and strength, that ye lead away the hearts of no more to do wickedly, but rather return unto them, and acknowledge your faults, and that wrong which ye have done. You parents of the willful and wayward, don't give them up, don't cast them off. They are not utterly lost. The shepherd will find his sheep. They will, they were his before they were yours, long before he entrusted them to your care. And you cannot begin to love them as he loves them. They have but strayed in ignorance from the path of right, and God is merciful to ignorance. Only the fullness of knowledge brings the fullness of accountability. Our Heavenly Father is far more merciful, infinitely more charitable than even the best of his servants. And the everlasting gospel is mightier in power to save than our narrow, finite minds can comprehend. And that was by Orson F. Whitney.
J. Reuben Clark said, I feel that the Lord will give that punishment, which is the very least that our transgression will justify. I believe that when it comes to making the rewards for our good conduct, he will give the maximum that is possible to give. I like that comforting thought. Verse 14, Seek not after riches, nor the vain things of this world, for behold, you cannot carry them with you. Dallin Oak said, When we place our trust in our property, we have carnal security. In that state of mind, we are inclined to say that all must be well with us and with Zion because we are prospering, thus relying on worldly success as a mark of divine favor. He who does this is an easy mark for being led carefully down to hell. Verse 15, And now, my son, I would say somewhat unto you concerning the coming of Christ. Behold, I say unto you that it is he that shall surely come to take away the sins of the world. Yea, he cometh to declare glad tidings of salvation unto his people. This chapter shows how parents can teach their children to keep the commandments and how to repent. And now, my son, this was the ministry unto which ye were called, to declare these glad tidings unto this people, to prepare their minds, or rather that salvation might come unto them, that they may prepare the minds of their children to hear the word of, at the time of his coming. And now I will ease your mind somewhat on this subject. Behold, you marvel why these things should be known so long beforehand. Behold, I say unto you, is it not a soul at this time as precious unto God as a soul will be at the time of his coming? The atonement covers everyone. Is it not as necessary that the plan of redemption should be made known unto this people as well as unto their children? So the atonement is timeless. Is it not as easy at this time for the Lord to send his angel to declare these glad tidings unto us as unto our children or as after the time of his coming? The, the atonement is also retroactive. So that's the end of uh, this chapter. Hope you'll come back for chapter 40 because this will be a continuation of uh, Alma's talk to his son Corianton. Some good doctrine in the next chapter too. I bear testimony to the truth of the gospel and the Book of Mormon and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.